This is Radio Sustain, a journal of fair trade, resilient rural communities, safe food, and a healthy environment. Brought to you by IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. This edition of Radio Sustain is for Wednesday, December 2nd, 2015. I'm Patrick Sai at IATP in Minneapolis. Today on the program, IATP's Shafali Sharma interviews David Moraskin, a lawyer at Public Justice who represents a number of farmers against meatpacking giant Tyson and their treatment of livestock producers. Welcome. So last year, Chris Leonard's book, The Meat Racket, came out that documented the horrible practices of Tyson and its tournament system that basically turns farmers into indentured workers. Tyson is one of the largest meat packers in the country. We're now talking with David Moraskin of Public Justice, a public interest law firm that is representing about a dozen poultry farmers in a lawsuit against Tyson for fraud and for violating the Packers and Stockyards Act. Recently, they've had a big win in this case, and we welcome David to share what is happening. Welcome, David. Would you explain a little bit about your organization, and can you please tell us why these farmers are bringing Tyson to court? Sure, and thank you very much for having me on. It's really a pleasure to speak with you. Public Justice is a Washington, D.C.-based consumer nonprofit. We work on a variety of issues, but have a special project specifically focused on food, safety, and health. Uh, As part of that project, we do a variety of litigation, some of it environmental-focused. We've had some very large wins holding dairies accountable for their contamination of water supplies. But we're also looking to expand the project beyond the environmental litigation to think about other ways in which we can help farmers and consumers fight back against this really unfair system of factory farming in which the companies externalize their costs and are therefore able to sustain a process that really is unsustainable. And what you described about Chris Leonard's book really defines what's going on in this case. Our our farmers entered into contracts with Tyson based on a promise from Tyson that they were going to be taken care of, that these are people who have worked farms all their lives and saw Tyson and were sold by Tyson the notion that they were going to be partners in this effort to raise chickens and that Tyson would make sure that they got the benefits of that partnership. As a result, and as Chris Hunter describes, they took out hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in loans to build these houses that Tyson demands in which chickens would be raised. But Once they got into the relationship with Tyson, they found that it was a very different experience. All poultry growers who work for Tyson and essentially all poultry growers who are working for these large integrators like Tyson are paid along by something called the tournament system. That means that they don't get a standard wage. Instead, what happens is when they deliver chickens within a given week, all those growers whose chickens have been slaughtered that week are compared to one another and they get either a premium or a deduction from their paycheck based on how they fit in that week's rankings. What our growers found is that they Tyson would manipulate the system so that specific individuals were in a week's tournament where they might fare better against all the other growers, but that specific week they would be knocked out on the system, causing them a financial harm. They also found that Tyson would manipulate the system in other ways against them. Um, Tyson would deliver chickens that it knew would be less likely to survive or thrive in the growers' houses and then force those growers to compete against other individuals who got better quality chickens. Tyson would condemn chickens that it knew were fit for human consumption, 
harming the growers overall pay that week. But then it turned out actually sending those chickens over to the dog food processing plant that was right next door that Tyson also owned. So the Tyson would get a profit off of it. And possibly most shockingly, Tyson's now claiming to be antibiotic free. But we heard from our clients is that in fact what's happening is Tyson has stopped spraying antibiotics in its hatcheries. But then it's using antibiotics as a reward for certain growers it wants to prefer and those who it wants to harm. So for instance, our growers would not get antibiotics for their houses, whereas Tyson would go out to certain growers that are seeking to advantage and give them antibiotics to put into their feed, which causes the birds to grow larger, again, harming the growers in the final tournament system when they're competing against those individuals who deliver those birds for slaughter. David, can you tell us, uh, given the enormous power that uh, this company has over the growers, how did uh, these contract growers actually get the courage to be able to reach out to you and take this bold step? You know, I think this was about a group of individuals banding together. It's really a great story that all these individuals work around one another and that once they started talking to one another and hearing what was happening, that it was similar treatment, they got the courage to come together. But your question also really highlights another important point. I kind of described to you the specific acts that Tyson carried out, but we also have a claim here that in part this is an antitrust violation. So it's not just about Tyson's specific contact and interactions with these growers, but also about its unfair power about to growers writ large. That Tyson, again, like many uh, integrators, requires that growers be within a certain distance of its slaughterhouses and feed mills. And that's because Tyson insists on per- being the, the company that does the slaughtering and being the company that does provides the feed to these growers. And it can only deliver the chickens and bring them back within a certain distance. And if you look around the country, Tyson and other integrators seemingly have carved up the country in such a way so that most growers can only go to one integrator, slaughterhouse, or feed mill. In other words, the integrator, a company like Tyson, is the only company within whom these growers can do business. And so when they get this kind of mistreatment, there's no place else for them to turn. And that's not just happenstance that Tyson and other integrators have carved up the country. We also have allegations in our complaint, and from what we've heard from other growers, is a really active kind of collusion between the between the integrators, that there's a system that all the integrators put data into called Agristats, where they share among Tyson and other companies the type of pay that our growers are getting, what's being produced by these growers. And so they're really helping one another set up barriers so that you can't move between companies. And once you're locked in with Tyson, you're locked in. You've taken on this huge debt and then you are subject to this mistreatment, but there's no place else for you to turn. And the only way to get your money back, to be able to pay off the loans that you now have on your family farm, is to continue to try to work with Tyson. And it's attempting to try to break that cycle that these growers are reaching out to us, and we're really excited to be working with them. And how is Tyson responding to this case, and have there been repercussions on the farmers involved in this case? So Tyson's responding in a number of ways. Legally, they filed what is a typical maneuver in the legal system called a motion to dismiss where they try to kick out some of the claims and that has been defeated in this case. Tyson actually only moved to on our fraud claims, the allegations that Tyson represented that these people would be partners and be given, taken care of by Tyson, but in fact they, they were mistreated. Tyson did not actually even attempt to dismiss our antitrust claims that I just described to you. 
but it is also putting pressure on the individual growers. We've heard reports of Tyson sending out investigators to try to dig up information from our growers' backgrounds. When we were out visiting our clients the other week, uh, managers would drive by the farms. There is a history here that you hear from other people who have tried to litigate Tyson. This is how it does business, that it tries to beat back these suits in any way it can, and it's losing in the courts here, and it seems like it may try to do other maneuvers and other ways to put pressure on the clients. Do you know if there have been cases where farmers have pulled out because of all these tactics? That certainly is a fear. We feel like our clients are really committed to the case and committed to working to see it through, not just for themselves, but for the other growers in this community. As I said, all the kind of growers work with a specific plant, and so they know each other and are, in this case, are not just looking out to kind of better themselves, but to better everyone who works at that plant. But I think that certainly is one of the aims here, and it certainly is, again, how companies like this typically do business is to try to pick off individual plaintiffs when they can't win in court. But you've actually had some good news recently, right? And could you share that with us and tell us what might be the implications moving forward? Sure. So that good news was this decision on the motion to dismiss, which was a really great triumph. As I mentioned, companies typically in these cases will try to file a motion right off the bat saying that the suit's without merit. Even if you believe everything that the plaintiffs are saying, it doesn't state a claim under the law. Tyson did that in this case with our fraud allegations. It did not even try to do that with the allegations that it's engaged in collusion and sharing information and has anti-competitive power. But just with the, it just tried to dismiss the claim that it had represented to the growers that it was going to be, take care of them and make sure that they got the necessary profit to pay back their loans, but then, in fact, manipulated the system against them. And the court entirely rejected Tyson's claim. Not only did it reject Tyson's claim, it said that we had actually stated claims against some of the individual employees who Tyson worked for. And doing that, it really helped lay out a very robust sense of what the company can be liable for. It said that we're not just talking about any specific conduct here, the failure to give antibiotics or giving chickens that Tyson knew were less bad, but a company policy that it was going to represent to people and represent to farmers, that it was out there to look out for their interests and it would take care of them. But then, in fact, once the farmers got roped into the system of debt and indentured servitude to Tyson, it would manipulate the actual system against the growers, not caring what their bottom line was, not caring whether they'd be able to pay off their loans. And so that kind of articulation of the fraud as being this company-wide corporate culture of defrauding growers really allows us now to turn to Tyson and say, okay, you've got to show us what your policies are, what your communications are that shows us that this isn't true. Because we believe that this is true and we're allowed access to that information to try to demonstrate that this is who Tyson actually is as a company. That it's a company that says one thing to growers to get them in the door and then only works to benefit its bottom line, not caring whether these family farms end end up going out of business. And establishing that uh, there's ground for fraud, what happens next? We're entering a really exciting part of the case. This is where the parties get together and they say what information they think they're entitled to and need to prove their case. And under the American legal system, we're entitled to get access to Tyson's documents, its email systems, and these databases that I described of Agristats where it's sharing information with other integrators and other companies 
so that we can begin to piece together the story that will eventually present to the court. And once information is presented to the court, absent some extraordinary showings by Tyson, it also is public information. This is part of the view of the American justice system as something a public entity that people should know about. And so once we get all this data together and we deal with Tyson about looking through their documents and coming up with the story, and we put that information before a judge or a jury, that's also information that will be out there for other growers and other activists and other individuals to learn about what's actually going on in the system. And so we see the suit not just as opening up Tyson's books to help our growers, but showing that this is a really systemic, endemic problem to integrators that hopefully will help other people who might be duped into joining the system learn about what they're getting into. Well, that's amazing. Congratulations. Um, and I guess the battle is, is still a long road ahead, but uh, you know, we at IATP really wanted uh, to flag this case because this is such an enormous problem in the meat industry and particularly in the United States where you have two or three meat packers controlling over 50% of the market. Um, I wish you the best of luck and I hope that uh, you know, we get more victories in this case. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on. Radio Sustain is a project of IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Find us on the web at iatp.org. The music on the program was Tall Fiddler by Deo and Beatback by The Art of Noise. I'm Patrick Sai. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 